Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to the takeout ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you can have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Five, four, three, two, one. But who's counting, right? His name is Major. Oh, ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major, fantastic. It's the takeout. This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent... Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes. Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. Welcome to my office here on the third floor of the CBS News Bureau, Washington, D.C. Summer's over. It's been quite possibly, in terms of climate science, a historic summer and not in a positive way. And I want to bring back to our program one of our absolute most popular guests of all time. In seven years of this program, Elizabeth Colbert is one of the most listened to guests we've ever had. She was also a contributor when we were doing documentary podcasts under the Debrief podcast feed. We did two episodes on climate change. She was a significant voice there. She was also a guest on this program. Elizabeth Colbert joins us from her home in Williamstown, Massachusetts. Elizabeth, great to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, Thanks for having me. So just to remind you, quick reminder, ladies and gentlemen, Elizabeth is writer, staff writer for The New Yorker. She's been there since 1999. Her 2014 book, The Sixth Extinction, won a Pulitzer Prize. Her 2021 book, Under a White Sky, also critically acclaimed. Elizabeth, I'm just going to list off for you some things that happened this summer, and I want to have you give your thoughts about how they fit and how we should think about them in terms of climate science. The fires in Maui, specifically Lahaina. Well, the fires in Maui are one of these, you know, what's increasingly being called a a compound disaster. There were a lot of factors that went into those fires. Um, One of the major ones was actually probably invasive species. So Hawaii has been, you know, it's a very remote group of islands. It's been really sort of taken over by invasive species. And some of these are grasses from other parts of the world that are what's called fire adapted. So they're actually like fire. Uh, They get very dry when it's dry and it was very dry in Maui. And that is quite possibly a climate change signal. So you got those two things together, hot, dry, or three hot, dry, and these invasive grasses that have taken over the area. And you got a, a recipe for disaster. And the uh, neighboring storm Dora didn't help either, did it? Exactly. And that's also possibly climate change related. You know, these at what are called attribution studies, they're rather complicated and they take a while. But um, definitely storm tracks in the Pacific have been moving north and Dora might have been a product of that. So a lot of attention over this last Labor Day weekend to what happened 
in the desert of Nevada, about 150 miles west of Reno. Black Rock City is what it's called. Burning Man goes there. Describe what happened there. Well, that was just this massive, you know, rain. Um, Now we are in sort of, you know, monsoon season in the Southwest. So, um, you, you know, rain, rain is part of the the program, but whether, you know, we're getting these amplified systems where when it rains, you know, rain comes down in bigger and bigger deluges, that's, that's pretty clearly. And that was very um, robustly predicted by climate models. And that's definitely what we're seeing. And would that also be what contributed to something that I took quite close notice of being a native born in San Diego, the entire Southern California region about a month ago, Hurricane Hillary, which then was a tropical storm, the first ever for that part of our country. Is that part of that same phenomenon? Well, I don't know if you say it's part of exactly the same phenomenon. What happened there, as I understand it, is you had a heat dome, just a tremendously hot system over the Midwest. And that Uh, sort of blocked those winds and they went north. So that hurricane took a very unusual track. Um, Is that a climate change signal? Um, Quite, you know, possibly once again, but I don't think we have a clear answer on that at this point. How about the Canadian wildfires? Well, those were definitely, you know, another sort of compound disaster, but uh, definitely they've had, you know, we, as you mentioned, we've just, you know, had a record hot summer, very hot up in Canada. Uh, you were getting, you know, ridiculously high temperatures up in the Canadian Arctic. Uh, they ended up, as I'm sure your listeners know, evacuating uh, the capital of the, you know, Northwest Territories. That's quite far north uh, because you had these dry, hot, dry conditions that made the forest uh, sort of into tinder. And Hurricane Idalia. Well, once again, you know, we're in hurricane season. We, you know, a a hurricane making landfall in Florida is not, you know, certainly nothing new. Uh, I think what we saw in Adalia that we increasingly see, and that is a very clear climate change signal, is we had, you know, super warm water temperatures in the Gulf of Mexico. And those storms spin up really fast when they hit that very warm water. So you're getting this rapid it's called rapid intensification and you're getting these storms that go you know very fast from a tropical storm to a major hurricane um and that's what we saw with the dahlia and water temperatures around florida um once again your 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 listeners may be aware of this have been just off the charts hot this summer audience i know you've picked up on this but i want to underscore it for a second elizabeth language is very cautious she does not proclaim She talks about things that appear to be connected, but the science has built up a set of data that can lead to a conclusion. And I think that's really important because in this space, there is a tendency to either accuse someone of hyping or exaggerating or having an agenda. I've read Elizabeth Colbert stuff for many, many years. There is no agenda there. There is just what's happening. And Elizabeth, I'd like you to convey to my audience what you've seen happening and how you have viewed the arc of the data, the arc of the predictions made, let's say, 15 or 20 years ago, and what we see playing out currently. Well, I first started reporting on climate change um, a long time ago, 20 years ago now. And at that point, you know, a lot of people would have said scientists are actually, you know, most scientists are very cautious and they stick, they hew quite closely to the data. And at that point, a lot of scientists would have said, well, we don't see uh, the signal emerging from the noise, you know, of, of, of weather and, and climate, which can be quite variable. Um, now, 20 years later, there's virtually no one left who would say that. The signal is so so clear that everyone is feeling it in their everyday lives. You know, there's very few people who can't who don't say you know even if you're 20 years old you can say summers have gotten hotter you know and we're we're and winters have gotten hotter i live in a part of the world where the ski industry used to be a major industry you know now they're lucky if they get a few weeks of good skiing up here they're just 
more and more of our precipitation in the winter is falling in the form of rain. These are just facts. You know, anyone can go look them up. Um, and I think that one of the you know tragedies of our time, honestly, is how this issue has become politicized. It's unfortunately, you know, pretty basic physics. Um, and it's playing out pretty much exactly as the scientists warned us it would 20 years ago. And what did they warn us 20 years ago what happened that we're feeling now? Well, they warned us that if you keep emitting CO2, which we mostly do by burning, you know, fossil fuels, you know, driving around and generating electricity with coal and natural gas, uh, and keep, you know, building up the carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, which is a greenhouse gas that's been known for, you know, 150 years, you will warm up the planet. And when you do that, you will see, among other effects, uh, higher sea levels because uh, you'll be melting a lot of ice. And also the simple fact is that warm water takes up more space than cold water. So your sea levels are going to rise. We've clearly seen that. Anyone who lives along the coast knows that. You're going to see fiercer storms. You're going to see probably deeper droughts. And then when, if and when you come out of the drought, you're going to see fiercer rains. Warm water can hold more, warm air can hold more moisture. Uh, so all of these predicted effects, uh, you know, you're going to see deeper heat waves, just hotter temperatures and more extreme weather. And all of those uh, phenomena, you know, we're now seeing play out in real time. And the reason that scientists warnings were so vehement already 20 years ago was they were making the point, look, there's a lot of inertia in this system. You can't just stop on a dime. Our energy systems are huge and our climate system is huge. And once you start pushing it in a certain direction, for example, once you start melting the ice caps, it's mm -hmm. virtually impossible to turn that around. So let's not do that. But here so, we Elizabeth, are. Elizabeth, let me stop you right there. Let me stop you right there because I need to hit a quick break. We will talk about the importance of inertia and the inability to stop on a dime when we come back. Elizabeth Colbert's our special guest. Segment two of The Takeout in just one second. Sound the gifting panic alarm. We've all been there. You need to find the perfect gift. You have absolutely zero ideas and you don't know where to start. Relax. Now you can use gift mode on Etsy. Gift Mode takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. Just answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like, and Gift Mode gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. Imagine pages of artisan espresso mugs for the coffee connoisseur in your life. Or for the pickleballer, customize paddle covers in every shade imaginable. Etsy's got you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Welcome back to The Takeout. Elizabeth Colbert, staff writer for The New Yorker, published author, Pulitzer Prize winner, in the climate science space for the better part of 20 years is our special guest. And I'm so delighted to talk to her again. Elizabeth, pick up on the points you were making about inertia, the difficulty globally of reversing trends once they start running away from us, if you will. Well, there's there's two two big inertial systems that are meeting up here in a you know really dangerous way, and one of them is the inertia of, of the climate system. So there are these feedbacks in the climate system. For example, once you start you know melting ice you darken the surface, right? So ice is very bright, reflects a lot of sunlight. That's that's a crucial part of the Earth's climate as we know it. Once you start melting that, the the you get open water, very dark, absorbs a lot of sunlight. You get this feedback, which you, you start losing control of. Uh, so that is one of the reasons that sci scientists say, you know, do not go past these, these tipping points, as they're often called. Um, and then you have the inertia of the 
energy system, right? We have this huge infrastructure, you know, many, many, you know, trillions of dollars worth of energy infrastructure, and we should be switching that out as fast as possible toward, you know, carbon-free energy. Um, and unfortunately, our politics have gotten kind of, you know, stuck around this issue. I'd say they're sort of just starting to move. Um, and we continue to build fossil fuel infrastructure in 2023, which is honestly quite crazy. And when you say fossil fuel infrastructure, help my audience understand what that means. We're, you know, sinking new uh, oil wells. We're opening new pipelines to move fossil fuels around. We're, you know, fracking for natural gas. So we're we're adding to this fossil fuel infrastructure, which we really need to be um, phasing out. And for those who would argue, Elizabeth, that may make environmental sense, but it doesn't make economic sense for my household, for my budget. Shouldn't we think about this in a transitional way? I've heard people talk about this. We transition from fossil fuels to greener energy. Maybe we do it over a, a path of 20 or 30, maybe 40 years. Is that a viable argument, either scientifically or survive from a survivability point of view? Well, I, I want to say that just from a practical purpose, this this energy transition, you know, is going to take 20 or 30 years, even, you know, if we put our our minds to it and don't stand in the way of it. So, you know, no one is saying we're going to phase out fossil fuels tomorrow. It's, it's probably is not practical, but they are saying certainly saying don't put in new fossil fuel infrastructure when you need to phase out this system. And another point that's really crucial to understand is that that argument has really become outdated. Um, solar energy is now the cheapest form of energy on the planet. It's much cheaper than putting in, you know, a new coal plant or a new natural gas plant. So um, the costs, you know, that we're on that learning curve of clean energy and the costs are coming down, you know, stupendously for, for solar and for wind, for onshore wind, for offshore wind. Uh, and we're seeing that ramp up. We are seeing some of that ramp up. Um, and for people who say, you know, it's expensive for me and my homes and my home, and I, I understand that. I live in a very old house uh, in New England, uh, and I am sympathetic to that. I will just say that there are a lot of incentives for people, and people should be looking into those. Um, there are a lot of incentives that were part of the Inflation Reduction Act uh, to make it cheaper for people to f phase out fossil fuels in their own homes. This is a global situation, and you also hear commentary, Elizabeth. I know you're familiar with it. All right, suppose the United States does all these amazing things and accelerates its transition and cleans up faster and doesn't build more, any more fossil fuel infrastructure. China is, India is, just to name two. Evaluate that. Well, I mean, to a certain extent, you know, that's true. Um I will say two, I think there are two important things to keep in mind. Even with all that, um, the U.S. is still the number one contributor to the greenhouse gases that are up there in the atmosphere. The, the problem with carbon pollution, which is different from a lot of other forms of pollution, is it lasts, you know, for all intents and purposes forever. So what we're worried about are the accumulated emissions in the atmosphere. And if you sort of just portion those out, you just assign those to a country, we in the US, we still get the biggest share. So we have bear a lot of responsibility here. And I think it's unbecoming to a country of our stature to just say, well, you know, we're not going to take responsibility for that. And, you know, they're doing it. So we're going to just do it too. That's really not how we approach any other issue, I think, in the world. Um, but the other point I would make is that someone's going to kind of own this clean energy future. And if we, if it's not the US, it will be China or India. And I think from an economic standpoint, a lot of people make a very compelling argument that we want to be at the forefront of these new technologies. And Elizabeth, I wonder if in your work, you are seeing a bleed over into practical economics. And by that, I mean simple things. I was reading a survey or a very long article produced by a writer for the Council on Foreign Relations that tried to tabulate, and it's hard to do, the cost of extreme weather on property insurance and what people pay on an annual basis just to insure the place in which they live. 
And it is an undeniable fact, as I read it, Elizabeth, that those costs are going up. In some states, like my home state of California, some insurers have basically said, we're leaving for a while. Florida, it's very hard to get property insurance. How much of your work is is flowing into that space, or has it always been there? Yeah, no, I was just, um, absolutely, that is a very, very current issue. And it's only going to get, you know, worse because insurers are in their in the business to make money right they need the odds to to add up so everything that's you know they're paying out they need you to pay in as premiums and as you get more and more of these uh you know basically billion dollar disasters insurers are literally going bankrupt so a lot of the people insurers smaller insurers that were insuring for example uh, southern louisiana have just gone bankrupt and left people with claims that they can't get processed and that's going to keep happening you know, until we get a grip on 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 what's going on, until we stabilize our climate, and so I think that insurance, and then the difficulty of home ownership, and the difficulty of getting a mortgage if you can't get insurance, uh, that's where some of these issues are going to hit people. You know, to use sort of a, a bad uh, expression, I guess in this case, where they live. Right, and let me give our audience a statistic. In 2022, extreme weather damages exceeded $165 billion. In the United States, this calendar year, January to July, we have already had 15 extreme weather events that cost more than $1 billion each in damages. And just to put this in perspective, you remember, my audience probably does, the California wildfires 2017 and 2018. By one estimate, those fires in those two years erased 25 years of profits accumulated by insurers in that state. And if you don't think that changes behavior by insurance companies and therefore changes what you pay to take care of the basic necessity of insuring your property, it does. These are where these things are colliding. Am I overemphasizing that, Elizabeth? No, absolutely not. And, you know, insurance depends on also on reinsurance, right? So the insurers go out to this even bigger market because you've got to spread these risks out. Uh, and that's an international market. That's not a U.S. market. And what you're finding is some states, um, for example, Louisiana and Florida, right? They have stepped in to uh, try to offer coverage to people who normally would just wouldn't get any coverage. But they are finding that their own finances are so bad, right? They have to go into that reinsurance market that those systems too are, you know, often one hurricane away from collapsing. That is the voice of Elizabeth Colbert. She is staff writer at The New Yorker, author of The Sixth Sixth Extinction, Pulitzer Prize winning book from 2014. When we come back to the takeout, Continuing our conversation via Zoom with Elizabeth from her home in Williamstown, Massachusetts. I'm going to give you a sense of how two very famous musicians who died recently, Jimmy Buffett and Steve Harwell, unintentionally contributed to at least a nominal understanding of climate change. I know that sounds like a reach, ladies and gentlemen, but I'm telling you, there'll be a pretty decent payoff. I'm Major Garrett, segment three of The Takeout, coming coming your way in just one second. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to The Takeout. Welcome back to my office on the third floor of the CBS News Bureau, Washington, D.C. Okay, Steve Harwell, lead singer, Smash Mouth, just recently died. Jimmy Buffett, legendary singer, Margaritaville, all that. 
also recently died. What on earth did they have to do with anything related to the climate? Stand by, let me tell you. Jimmy Buffett's first hit, it was a sort of pop semi-country hit, 1974, called Come Monday. It's a love song, but in there is a line that I want to read to you. I spent four lonely days in a brown L.A. haze, recognizing the environment around him, 1974. Fast forward, 1999, Steve Harwell, the lead singer of Smash Mouth. He didn't write the song. Greg Camp wrote the song. The song is all-star. Let me read from those lyrics. The ice we skate is getting pretty thin. The water's getting warmer, so you might as well swim. The world's on fire. My world's on fire. How about yours? Okay. They're not climatologists. They're not climate scientists, but they are aware of the world around them. And I would argue and suggest to Elizabeth Colbert, our special guest, that 25-year period, 1974 to 1999, kind of important in what she was referring to in segment two, that the United States, whether we want to admit it to ourselves or not, is a legacy CO2 polluter. And that legacy status, Elizabeth Colbert would argue, requires us to do a little bit more. Elizabeth, take it away. Yeah, we we were the world's largest emitter. We're, we're not by any stretch the world's most populous country, but we were the world's largest emitter up until around, uh, for quite a long stretch, up until around 2006, when we were overtaken by China. And, you know, China is now a very much a bigger emitter, much bigger emitter than the US. But it is important also to keep in mind this idea of per capita emissions. So that's emissions per person. You know, there are, uh, you know, roughly 1.3 billion people in China. There are roughly, I think, 350 million or so in the US. So there's a big gap. And in terms of per capita emissions, the US is still way up there. We're up there with people who live in petro states like you know kuwait and saudi arabia in terms of our per capita emissions you didn't know where i was going did you with the jimmy buffett steve harwell thing no i i you caught me by <laughs> surprise i have to confess <laughs> um elizabeth i'm going to go through my notes here and i want to run by some terms i came across that i think you can help my audience explain because they're part of the more uh, granular conversation about climate. Uh, and uh, if I'm stumping you here, I don't think I am, but if I am, forgive me. Wet bulb global temperature. Well, wet bulb temperatures refer to, and I, I do want to, you know, issue the caveat that I'm, you know, I'm not a meteorologist or a climate scientist, but wet bulb temperatures refer to, um, you know, basically humidity, right? So as it becomes more humid, we have trouble uh, just getting rid of heat, you know, because of the physics of evaporation. Um, so the wet bulb temperatures refers to sort of that temperature, you know, that you feel and humid heat is extremely, is much more dangerous. You know, people joke, oh, well, it's a dry heat, you know, at least. Um, but it's true that that is less dangerous because when you sweat, you cool yourself off. But in, in, in humid heat, you do not uh, cool yourself off. And I've read uh, articles that talk about this wet bulb global temperature rising, rising significantly and for longer periods of time in more different parts of the world. And that right now, according to an article I just read this morning in the Washington Post, Pakistan is kind of a example, a living and dying example of what this extreme heat and humidity can do to a society. Yeah, exactly. I, I read that article, too. It was a good piece in The Washington Post. And I, I also want to add, you know, when when you were talking before about uh, insurance costs going up, you know, there's a lot of evidence, increasing evidence that just, you know, productivity really declines in these, you know, Iran, uh, you know, not not our favorite country in the U.S., but they had to they had such ridiculously high temperatures uh, over the summer that they declared like two heat days. They just gave everybody, you know, the day off uh, because it was just too hot to work. And you're seeing that more and more. And we saw that across the American, you know, uh, South and Southwest this summer. You know, it was just so hot in places like Texas that outdoor work became very, very difficult to do. You know, jobs like construction, um, 
So that really cuts into our our economy. And as I read, uh, this terminology that also comes with it is inescapable heat can lead to heat stroke, heart and kidney damage. These are not sidebar sort of health effects. These are centralized, vital health effects of extreme inescapable heat. Yeah, and there's a lot of studies now um, of people going back and looking at heat waves and looking at you know what are called excess deaths. So how many people died more died during that period? How many deaths were there that uh, exceeded the sort of norms? And many of those are probably attributable to these terrible heat waves. And it's especially dangerous for older people uh, who don't sweat as much and also whose uh, hearts. It's very tough on your heart heat. You have to uh, pump out a lot of energy to try to cool uh, your extremities. And I actually um, decided a year or so ago, I, I w- went into one of those test chambers where where people are doing experiments on the effects of, of heat. Uh, this was in Texas, um, in Dallas. And the experience was very, very sobering. Um, you know, it was sort of a fake heat wave that they created inside this chamber and you were supposed to do, you know, just a little bit of, of exercise just to mimic sort of what you'd have to do to make dinner and stuff. And it was, it was exhausting, uh, really exhausting and debilitating. It was very hard to think. And you can, um, you know, uh, imagine how this is rippling out through society. And, and as I say, once again, through our economy. And to your point about deaths for those in their elder years, there is a recent Lancet study that said that the deaths of those 65 and older attributable to heat or heat-related illnesses rose 68% from 2017 to 21 as compared to 20 to 2000-2004. So this population globally, and we should remember most do not live within the confines of any accessible air conditioning. So this heat is ever present, even in the shade, which is what this whole question of wet global temperature, wet bulb global temperature is, you can't escape it. Even in the shade, it is serious for you. It's a real phenomenon. Absolutely. And um, I want to, in segment four, talk about uh, approaches. But before we get there, You've been in the space for 20 years, Elizabeth. I imagine one of the profound challenges, it's actually kind of a challenge in my world of covering American politics, uh, where to find uh, either green shoots or rays of optimism. Well, in in this space, I mean, the one thing I would say is that, you know, there was a pretty significant uh, green shoot last summer, almost exactly a year ago, um, President Biden signed the Inflation Reduction Act, which was really... Um, you know, despite the name or in addition to the name, a, a pretty significant piece of climate legislation. It's full of, of tax breaks and incentives uh, for clean energy. And it will move a lot, a lot of money into the clean energy space. If it's an, whether it's, you know, enough to affect the shift that we need, um, how it's all going to play out, it's pretty early in the game. But Definitely, there are a lot of um, there's a lot of, of of movement that wouldn't have occurred without that piece of legislation. And very quickly, before we go to break, you need that incentive to change the initial economics so the full blown economics can take over later. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're going to get a lot of these. Um, you you need these sort of economies of scale, and hopefully, we're gonna we're gonna start getting those. That is the voice of Elizabeth Colbert. She is our special guest. Very glad to have her back. It's been a summer of intense weather, both in terms of rainfall, wind, tremendous amount of heat. We'll get into some more of that and possible solutions on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. Segment four of The Takeout coming your way in just one second. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Welcome back to The Takeout. Elizabeth Colbert is our special guest. A um, couple other things I want to run by you, Elizabeth. Um, dengue fever. Asthma. Flesh-eating bacteria. Famine. Malaria. I'm not trying to scare people. I'm just saying that if you do any word checks and you put climate change or weather events near those words, you're going to find increased likelihood and recentism. They're happening and they are, at least scientifically, initially attributable to climate change. Am I wrong about that, Elizabeth? No, I mean... You know, we could tease out in each of those cases yes. what the climate change connection is. But just to use the example, the pretty clear example of, you know, insect mosquito mosquito carried diseases like dengue and um, malaria. Well, if you're a mosquito that's, you know, adapted to, to warm weather, clearly as, you know, that those temperatures, you know, sort of drift north, more and more of the world is appropriate for you to live in. And and we're seeing that, you know, we're seeing the mosquitoes, these disease carrying species of mosquitoes can survive at higher and higher latitudes. So you are seeing even the return of malaria, for example, to places where people thought it had been eradicated. Right. And when you have these deluge events of heavy, heavy intensified rain, water gathers. It stands longer. It doesn't drain off as rapidly. A contributing factor, correct? Yes, very much so, yeah. Uh, another term, and I don't think this will be a stumper for you, a uh, wildland urban interface. Well, that's a term uh, soften, you know, abbreviated even now to uh, uh, WUI. It's so common. Yes. Um, you know, that was a term that came up <clears throat> very often in the uh, with the fires on Maui, you know, people are living, uh, now I guess you'd call them wild lands. They're really, they're in the case of Maui, they were sort of former farmland that Mm -hmm. now has been abandoned because the economics aren't good. And that's where those invasive grasses that we spoke about before have really taken over what used to be uh, mainly sugar plantations. And, so when people are living right up against these, well, you know, we'll call them wild lands, they're not that wild, um, you know, and no one is sort of, quote unquote, caring for or responsible for what's on those lands, then you can get these really dangerous situations. Where a fire can break out, the fuel is there, and the fuel used to burn across, but now as it burns across, as it historically did, whoops, I mean, really, oops, I'm not trying to be glib. There are pro- there's property there and humanity where it wasn't there before. Right, exactly. And many people, I want to say, in <clears throat> the years leading up to the fires on Maui had warned that this combination of higher temperatures and drier conditions and invasive grasses were very dangerous. But, you know, until you have a disaster, no one really wants to pay attention. What are we what are we going to do? You know, what are we going to do about those grasses? I think it's probably getting a lot more attention now. And one of the things that I believe, Elizabeth, is a lesson from Lahaina and Maui is speed and that these things can change very rapidly. And the infrastructure of our adaptability is going to have to change for that speed factor, that things, whether it's rain or fire or other things, will come more intensely. And therefore, the time to respond will be less. And infrastructure has to reflect that. True? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think everyone who read about the Maui fires was, you know, felt that dread in their heart, you know, when a fire races through and there's just nothing you could do. Um, 
And that was a very, you know, that was a particularly, you know, just tragic situation where people were not warned, even though there was this sort of, you know, warning system in place. And that really pointed to, as you say, the vulnerability of our infrastructure. If everyone's relying on a cell phone alert and everyone's cell phones have gone dead, that's not going to work. So I, I think you're absolutely right. We we need to think about that. And in the case of these rapidly intensifying hurricanes, I think people, you know, in some parts of the country, people have gotten sort of complacent and just, you know, sit there and, and say, I'm going to ride it out. But people better, you know, think twice about that, because if that storm spins up overnight, you know, there's no time to get out. Um, so people need to be very, very people in vulnerable coastal areas need to pay very close attention to those warnings. And it also seems to me, Elizabeth, that this is no longer a regional story. It's not a coastal story. There are different weather effects almost every part of our country, whether you live in the mountains, whether you live in forested areas, whether you live in grassland areas, prairies, whatever. Things are shifting, and this idea that weather is not really any longer an abstraction or kind of a conversation point, it's part of how you survive is too strong a word, but how you coexist. Yes, absolutely. And one of the I we should talk about one of the terms you mentioned in that list of, you know, sort of horrors was famine. And one thing that we also are looking at and really need to be, you know, super concerned about is what happens when these extreme weather events hit our agricultural lands. Now, I will give you, you know, one teeny weeny little example. We had a very warm spring here and then we had a, a frost. Uh and the trees had bloomed. And so we have no fruit crop in the part of the world where I live, where there are a lot of orchards. I mean, it's not, you know, a huge fruit growing issue, but it definitely is a lot of issue, a big issue for a lot of farmers, zero fruit crop. And if you're getting this sort of mismatch between, you know, trees, which take a long time to grow, uh, and the weather, that you can expect, you have a big problem. And we are seeing, you know, weather events start to pinch in on our agricultural crops. Um, you know, dry, hot weather is not good. It's not good for corn. It's not good for soy. It's not good for wheat. Uh, and we're starting to see that. And that should be a serious concern to people. My home state of California got the benefit of atmospheric rivers in the sense that aquifers were refilled, some reservoirs were refilled, but the cost to the agriculture engine of California, and I know California gets a lot of attention for Silicon Valley, the beaches and Hollywood, all appropriately so, but it is a major significant agricultural state in our nation suffering for years to come because of the atmospheric rivers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of situations where you're getting where, you know, fields are simply flooded out. And that is, you know, just as can be just as damaging as, as, as not enough water. And the simple truth is the drought lasted in California almost 20 years. And the fact that one season of rain nearly replenished that shows how out of kilter things have become. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it's been a, it's been a, it's, it's been a crazy year. And, you know, the question of, um, you know, many people have posted, I've seen posts on this, you know, 10 years from now, this will look like uh, a cool summer. You know, this is only moving in one direction. I think people really need to understand that. You know, you sometimes hear people say, oh, it's cyclical. No, it is not cyclical. We are changing it and it is only changing in one direction. Yes, there will be variations. There will still be cooler years and warmer years, but the trend line is only going in one direction. And that is because uh, even, you know, when we when greenhouse gases emissions start stop growing and there's a question of whether globally they're sort of starting to plateau, we're still adding every year massive amounts of CO2 to the atmosphere. And as I mentioned before, what matters are your your accumulated emissions. So one year of no growth in emissions. Well, that's good on one level and but still very, very dangerous. That is the voice of Elizabeth Colbert, our special guest. So glad to have her back with us. That concludes our takeout. Make sure you stay tuned for the takeout outtake especial. I'm Major Garrett. We'll see you next week. 
CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center. Thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Welcome to your takeout outtake especial. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome to my third floor office, CBS News Bureau, Washington, D.C. Elizabeth Colbert, staff writer of the New Yorker, Pulitzer Prize winning author, been on the climate science beat for the better part of 20 years, is our special guest. Very glad to have her back with us. We concluded talking about the trend lines and the trajectory. Um, how worried are you about that, Elizabeth? I'm super worried. <laughs> I don't think I could be more worried. I mean, I think that people are now seeing a, unfortunately, what is just a foretaste uh, of, of what we have in store. And I think, you know, if you think of, about this, if you think, okay, 10 years from now, this will seem like a cool summer. Well, that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Because it hasn't been a cool summer. Exactly. You mentioned, te- you mentioned Texas, but Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, parts of Florida, there was a very big story in the New York Times talking about how longtime Southerners who always knew and felt the humid, warm summers said by any memory that they have, this summer was so much worse, so much more oppressive in the sense that they could not escape the heat. The Minneapolis, the Minnesota State Fair set a record temperature over Labor Day, near 100 degrees, 20 or so degrees above normal. Uh, and we have now sort of built into our lexicon this idea of either atmospheric rivers or heat domes or bomb cyclones. Terminology that, Elizabeth, I know because we're contemporaries in age and only in age. We are not contemporaries in any other sense. Um, we didn't grow up with those terms, and they're now baked in. Yeah, no, it's very, I mean, we are having a, a, a fall heat wave right now in New England where I am. And I, I remember, I mean, once again, and, and your, your listeners of, 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 of our vintage, you know, when you went off to school right after Labor Day, uh, it was, it, it was, it was fall and usually the temperatures were starting to drop. And now we're seeing, for example, in schools, uh, you know, and in, and many parts of the world, schools started a couple of weeks ago and it's so hot. Uh, and a lot of schools are in air conditioned because, you know, they, they didn't expect that they needed to be. Uh, and so kids are having trouble paying attention and we're going to see all of these tremendous ripple effects. And honestly, those are the, um, those are the easy ones. I mean, the hard ones are, as we discussed before, you know, what do you do with the breadbasket of the U S if the climate is no longer suitable, you know, for growing those crops that, that, that we've grown. And a lot of, I do want to say a lot of very smart people are, are thinking about this and trying to, you know, breed heat resistant crops, flood resistant crops, but, you know, I think that what we have seen this summer is that the climate system doesn't obey our will, and it's going to hand us a lot of uh, really major disasters. And we need to to wake up. We need to be smarter in so many different ways, starting with um you know, how we produce our energy and going through how we manage these, you know, wild urban, wildland urban interfaces that we were talking about before. There was a a commercial when uh, Elizabeth and I were younger for a company that made uh, oil filters. And it had a tagline that said, you can pay me now or you can pay me later. And the simple truth is, whether it's property insurance or state or federal governments trying to find a way to insure in a market that no longer privately we'll insure, or to help communities rebuild from extreme weather events. Again, 
15 $1 billion damage events this year, January to July, the highest number on record. Inflation adjusted dollars, ladies and gentlemen. The payouts are real. And whether you are concerned about your monthly utility bill, you're going to pay for this one way or the other. Because the payments are already happening. They're already flowing through the economy in various ways. Elizabeth, I'll give you the last word. Well, I, I think that you make, you know, such a crucial point there. And there's always, there's been this long, you know, feet dragging. Oh, it's too expensive to change anything, you know. And the fact is, it's just, uh, that's just not true. It's too expensive not to change anything. You know, we just can't, um, you know, we are really looking at changing the world for our kids and our grandkids in ways that they will not be able to cope with. And when you think about it in those terms, I think that a lot of uh, this foot dragging starts to take on uh, a, a different aspect. Right. Because you're paying one way or the other. You may want to have a preferred payment mechanism, but the simple truth is payments are going out and you are paying them one yes, way or the or other. Yes, or your kids are paying them. I mean, or you your are kids also are paying them or your fobbing a debt off on our kids. And we've had long conversations about our national debt and, you know, whether that's fair to our kids. Well, this is a national debt of, you know, epic proportions. That is the voice of Elizabeth Colbert. So good to see you. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be back in touch with you probably in the not too distant future because this isn't going away and you're one of the most powerful voices in this space. Thanks so much, Elizabeth. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. That's it, folks. See you next week. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Jake Rosen, and Ashley Armstrong. CBSN production by Eric Susanen. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS News. If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Catch every episode of 60 Minutes, America's most-watched news magazine show, as a podcast. Hear in-depth investigations across politics, news, and entertainment on your schedule. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.